0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio, I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian
1: Hefty, thanks for joining us. Today in the show we're going to talk about nitrogen stabilizers and just nitrogen use in general. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything going on in your farm, we'd love to talk to you. Our number is 844-44-AG-PHD, that's 844-442-4743, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Alright, we get lots of questions each fall about nitrogen applications. We like nitrogen stabilizers because in a nutshell, here's what they do. They will keep your nitrogen in the ammonium form longer so you have less loss. Now, as I say that though, there are different types of nitrogen stabilizers because we have three main forms of loss. We have denitrification, where if you've got so much moisture in the ground, then you can lose your nitrogen then uh, and it goes up in the air. Um, We're in a severe drought, so I'm not too worried about that one. Uh, We also have leaching loss, which we're going to freeze up in another month or so. We have really heavy soil and there's no moisture in the soil right now, so it would take unbelievable amounts of rain for us to have any leaching loss this fall. But the one that I do worry about a lot for guys who are just going to apply nitrogen to the soil surface is the volatilization loss. So those are the three main forms. Again, denitrification, leaching, and volatilization. So it all depends on what you are concerned about. And then you can talk to your ag retailer and say, hey, I'm just worried about volatilization. Well, guess what? There are some nitrogen stabilizers that will protect against volatilization loss that cost less than some of those that may help you in terms of the leaching loss. So anyway, with nitrogen stabilizers, yes, we like them, but it's not going to solve all your problems. Here's what I mean by that. If you have a light soil, you're in an area with lots of rainfall, you don't freeze like we do, um, you always are going to have to be concerned about nitrogen loss. And the first factor that we want you to take a look at on your farm is this, cation exchange capacity. So that's your soil's ability to hold everything, to hold water, to hold herbicides, and to hold nutrients like nitrogen. So the general statement we're going to give you is take your cation exchange capacity times 10. That'll tell you roughly how much nitrogen your soil can hold at any one time. So let's say you had a 5 CEC, really sandy ground. 5 times 10 is only 50 pounds. Let's say you got 20 pounds out there already. What I'm telling you is, I would only recommend throwing 30 more pounds out there. That's it. Anything beyond that, I'm going to be scared. And you might say, well, I want to throw a stabilizer with it. So now can I put 150 pounds out? No. You could maybe bump it a little bit. You know, instead of going 30 pounds, would I be be comfortable going 40, 50, maybe even 60? Yeah, it's possible. But I sure as heck am not going to tell you to do something crazy because the nitrogen stabilizer is not going to last forever. The next thing that we want you to look at is when is that frozen ground factor coming? In our operation, for example, we usually figure it's early to mid-December when the ground truly, fully freezes up. Now, sometimes it happens earlier and and we might get caught. But I'm just trying to say here, if I'm going to put nitrogen out in September, it's a whole different conversation than when I'm putting it out in November. When I put it out in September, I've got a, at least a couple of months where I technically could lose that nitrogen to leaching. And that's usually our biggest concern is leaching. So think about that a lot. The later you can go with the nitrogen application, the more sense it makes. Now, a lot of people will say, well, we want the soil temp 50 degrees and falling. That's nice to say, but I'm also going to look a lot at the calendar because you have to look at kind of what your averages are for temperature. So if you've gone through a really cold spell and your soil temp drops, but you know that on average that was exceptionally cold, I'm still going to be hesitant to put my nitrogen out then. And the opposite is true as well, where if it's, let's say, early November, and like around here we have temperatures in the 70s, we're going, oh, wow, this is great, and winter's never coming, (laughs) Well, I, I, I mean, we know that based on the calendar, it's going to come. So you, you got to use your your common sense a little bit there too. Here's the next thing that I'm always going to encourage you to do: if you put nitrogen out in the fall, make sure you're planting early in the spring. So let's say that it's ground where you go. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll plant that later. Whatever. Then I'm I why put the nitrogen out so early? Because here's what's going to happen to you. If you don't plant your crop early, guess what? Weeds are still going to germinate early and they are going to pull a bunch of that nitrogen away from your crop. So why waste your nitrogen on your weeds? I'd only put my nitrogen out in the fall if I'm gonna plant right away in the spring. So, like in our operation, most of the nitrogen we'll put out, if we even put any out, will be in November. And then we'll plant as soon as we possibly can in the spring. Sometimes we've even planted before the frost has fully come out of the ground. That's how early we wanna plant on those particular fields. So, you just have to be careful about where you're placing this, when you're planting how you're using nitrogen, because the last thing we want to have happen is you lose it. Nitrogen is unbelievably expensive right now. A lot of people are talking about 75 cents a pound. Think about that, 75 cents per actual pound of nitrogen, and it might be going higher yet. So because of that, you got to be smart about your overall nitrogen use. And I would just say this, when Darren and I were growing up on the farm, our dad would often say, boys, I want to put nitrogen out in the fall so I get some of that work done and I don't have to worry about it in the spring. And I'm going to put 10% more on because I believe that I'm going to lose 10% of my nitrogen. And you know what? If I put it out a little extra early, I'll put even more nitrogen out. Nitrogen's cheap. Okay, well, the flaw in that is now we've created potentially an environmental issue somewhere for someone. I don't want nitrogen ending up in groundwater. So I don't, even if nitrogen was cheap, I don't want to put the extra 10 or 20% on because I'm going to lose it. I'd rather time it right. And now I can put less nitrogen on. So it saves me a little money and I don't have to worry as much about the environmental factors. The other thing is, if you do a good job with all the rest of your fertility, you actually can get by with less nitrogen per bushel of grain, period. That's really important. Oh, one last thing I should mention. If you're going to do any fall nitrogen, don't do it where ground can flood. So we have some river bottom ground. We never put fall nitrogen out there. That just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we'll talk about nitrogen stabilizers and a number of other things here on today's show and get to your calls and questions here on Ag PhD Radio.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today and our discussion is around the topic of nitrogen stabilizers. Our phone lines are open for your calls and agronomic questions or if you'd just like to discuss this topic a little bit more 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com and Brian made his comments to start the show off. Now this is based on our farm in the northern U.S., we get another farmer that farms not too far away from us, Lee Lubers. He farms in south central South Dakota. Uh, Lee, Brian made a lot of comments there about heavy ground, high organic matter, dry weather, all these kinds of things that we can hang on to nitrogen a little bit better. Have you found that to be the, true on your farm too? You can hold on to early spring nitrogen or fall applied nitrogen well?
3: Yeah, we have not seen uh, real issues with leaching in our yield environment with CECs in the mid-20s and good or- organic matter levels, but we still do work with stabilizers uh, when we look at our weather forecast if We're looking a couple weeks out and we need to get going and we've got some real heat coming on, we will put on a stabilizer still.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to to try and be smart and have nutrients available at the right time. And, and I, I've been to your farm multiple times. You you certainly know what you're doing managing nutrients. When it comes to nitrogen, do you use nitrogen on a lot more than just your corn and wheat? What have you done in the past on, on soybeans, on sunflowers? Are those crops where you've got yield levels that justify some nitrogen applications too?
3: On um, sunflowers, uh, we manage those just as intensively as corn or wheat. Uh, They respond great with fertility management. So uh, we used uh, a lot of nitrogen and along with micros on our sunflower program. And we have worked a little bit with nitrogen on soybeans, low rates early, and then even doing some playing with foliar nitrogen.
0: You know, when you're putting out the nitrogen applications, we, we hear from a lot of folks, and I remember Brian Young had done some research on this at Southern Illinois about, using sulfur as a a nitrogen stabilizer to some degree it doesn't do the same things that some of these commercial stabilizer products do but it does tend to keep nitrogen in the right form a little bit longer which is always a good thing do you add sulfur when you're putting nitrogen on are you putting them on at the same time or different apps
3: we're always together they're synergistic we don't apply one without the other
0: yeah, we've been doing a lot of sulfur plus nitrogen. And obviously with the reduction in sulfur levels in the air and reduction of sulfur levels in diesel fuel and so forth, we we've seen more of a need for getting sulfur out into these fields. Um with with the nitrogen stabilizer talk and and putting nitrogen on, Brian had said this too. With dry weather, we want to get that nitrogen on early. We just aren't getting the kind of response we get out of side dress applications. Have you found a way that's been reliable to be putting nitrogen on in season?
3: Uh, we've had very good luck when we combine our sulfur with it, run our ratio of sulfur that we've kind of tweaked it to over the years, and it seems to work very well
0: for us. Yeah, we've, we're still working on that one. We We've had really good luck with our early season applications. And if we get rain, we can have luck with the in-season. But every once in a while, we strike out on on an in-season application, which tends to, to give us a little bit of bias. Uh, with With fall harvest rolling along, how are you coming, Lee? And have you got a lot of fall fertilizer in the program coming up?
3: Uh, right now, we are seeding wheat. And uh, we've got about 45% of our wheat in the ground with our starter blend. And we're in full swing of soybean harvest, but we have not done any fall uh, nitrogen applications yet. That'll probably be coming up in about a month.
0: We ran into soybeans being a little bit too dry. We're supposed to maybe catch a little shot of rain tonight. Maybe that'll wet things down a little bit again. Are, Are you still keeping some moisture in the beans or are they starting to get dry for you too?
3: Uh, we were dealing with green stems and dry beans, but right now I'm watching it rain, so I guess everything's wet right
0: now. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, send some of that our way. We could sure use it. And when it comes to uh, getting some of this fertilizer out there, getting a little rain to get it down in the soil could be a good thing too. Uh, talking with Lee Lubers here, a friend of the show, uh, works with the uh, Extreme Ag Group as well. You can find Lee online and see a lot of pictures for what's going on in his farm and see the kind of crops this guy's raising in South Central South Dakota. It's really amazing. Lee, thank you so much really appreciate having you on stay safe this harvest
3: hey thanks a lot
0: yeah. let's head out to uh, pennsylvania We've got charlie white with us right now with penn state charlie how are you doing
5: great great how are you today thanks for having me on
0: well pretty good i was just in pennsylvania about a week ago and i think our crops are just a little bit ahead of yours right now but are you starting to see some guys getting out in the field yeah,
5: yeah. Actually, we're planning to do our first yield check in southeastern Pennsylvania, which is the warmer part of the state, um, with one of our farmer collaborators on Friday. So, and he's one of the first guys uh, getting out there uh, shelling corn. Um, of course, we've been going to corn silage for a month or so already, but uh, yeah, our grain guys are just getting into the fields to start on corn this
0: week. Awesome. Awesome. We're talking about nitrogen stabilizers, and I know uh, I was kind of in southeast Pennsylvania, and my goodness, have they been getting some rain the last month. I doubt there's a whole lot of guys thinking about fall-applied nitrogen in that area, but do you get some questions around fall-applied nitrogen? And if so, just wondering what the talk around nitrogen stabilizer is like in your geography.
5: Sure, sure, sure. So we don't put out a whole lot of Purchase nitrogen fertilizer in the fall, um, but we do have a lot of fall manure that goes out just because people's storages fill up uh, after about six months. And so sometimes we have some conversations about using nitrification inhibitors with fall manure to try and prevent the conversion of ammonium into nitrate, um, where it can be lost over the winter. Um, but I think for guys that might be putting out uh, fall fertilizer, commercial fertilizer, whether that's anhydrous or, or something else. You know, that's a good conversation to have is to try and protect that ammonium from converting to nitrate until um, we can get into the winter and soils cool down a bit. And that cold weather will help protect it, too, till the next spring.
0: Glad you brought up the fall manure topic. And I know for our farm, this is a big one as well. How do we keep as much of that ammonia and a much of that as much of that sulfur as we can that are that's in the manure if we're smelling the manure our feeling is always we're losing something out there we don't want to smell it for a lot of reasons but the nutrient loss is certainly one of them are you seeing guys change up how they're applying this this manure is it a lot of dry pack manure or liquid manure that you got
5: yeah well we have some of everything um, certainly the the dairies and swine industry are mostly on liquid manure but then we've got a lot of poultry litter as well that that's dry. Um, one of the tricks we found with the liquid manures is actually delaying the applications into the, the very late fall when temperatures are colder. Those cold temperatures will slow down the volatilization and they'll also slow down that nitrification after the fact. So that can be one solution and it's a little bit counterintuitive um, and you don't want to get too far into the winter when things are really frozen and cold. That's not a great environmental situation but In our area, there's kind of a golden window in in mid-November where things are cold enough that volatilization really slows down, uh, but the soils aren't totally frozen over yet. Of course, that window will change where you are in in the country, of course.
0: Absolutely. A lot of the growers that I talked to in in Pennsylvania here just recently were talking about just how many neighbors they have and how there's been a lot of urban sprawl and, and uh, seeing a lot of people out in the country now and so they're very conscious they've always got neighbors really nearby where these fields are at and, and getting along with neighbors is pretty important and containing that nitrogen keeping it in the right spot is certainly a good way to to do that. Uh, any other tips Charlie you're giving out this fall any things that that guys need to keep in mind as, as they're getting ready to get that nitrogen and that manure out there?
5: Yeah well one more thing would be to consider manure injection and that's essentially something, something that It has been around for a while, but the equipment has gotten better, and some of the custom operators in bigger farms have have started to invest in that equipment, and getting that manure into the ground um, with an injector um, can help reduce volatilization, and it's not so much disturbance like a a full tillage, you know, which would leave your soil bare over the winter, you know, helps preserve the, the crop residue, but... That would certainly be something to look into is, is looking at manure injection to help conserve some of that nitrogen and reduce odors.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we're working on that on our farm too. We're we're actually going to be injecting 12, even 16 inches deep in in our soils this fall. So looking forward to see what kind of difference that can make on our crop the coming year. Uh, talking with Charlie White here with Penn State. Charlie, great information. Really appreciate it. Good luck here as you start getting those trials out and look forward to talking to you again soon. All right, thanks. Take care, everyone. You bet. We're talking about nitrogen stabilizers on the Ag PhD radio program today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. You work for results.
5: That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com, Enlist.com.
0: Nitrogen discussion is always a fun one to have, and the input that we get from around the world is pretty interesting on this topic. So on today's Ag PhD radio show, we're talking about nitrogen stabilizers. Just adding to that conversation just a little bit, if you're putting out nitrogen, depending on the timing and the form that you're using, are you using a stabilizer? Do you think that's important? What differences are you seeing out in the field? We would love to hear from you, and our phone lines are open at 844 Forty-four Ag PhD. You can also email us radio at agphd.com. Let's head down to Arkansas. We've got Trent Roberts with us right now at the University of Arkansas. Okay, Trent, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Well, pretty good. We're talking nitrogen and yes, it is still September. We're not recommending putting on all your nitrogen for next year or anything else. So so don't worry about that. But, but there are some guys, especially when we get into dry areas and heavy soils that, that do like to put N on in the fall. And so we're just talking through some of the nitrogen stabilizer information and so forth and some of the strategies guys might use. What do you see with nitrogen stabilizers in the studies that you run in, in the University of Arkansas?
2: Well, so we we do a lot of work um not only in the field but in the lab as well. So, I like to consider our program one of the front, run, front runners and kind of, you know, initiating studies to look at new products that are coming to market. And, you know, the one thing that I would emphasize to producers is, you know, go to your land grant university and find out what they're recommending for your production system and your nitrogen source. Um, In the South, in Arkansas, for instance, we rely very heavily on granular urea. And so our focus has always been on stabilizers to reduce ammonia volatilization. Um, You know, we use almost no anhydrous um, in the South. And so, you know, the recommendations that we use for stabilizing that urea and preventing ammonia, ammonia volatilization are useful across the country Um, But for someone in the corn belt who may rely on anhydrous or more liquid UAN, um, you know, they're going to be looking at other stabilizers such as nitrification inhibitors.
0: You know, the the nitrification inhibitors are are important, and and I just look at for our own farm when we're working on nitrogen, we're always concerned about loss and certainly this year we've got not really cheap nitrogen out there too, Trend. We want to make sure we're getting it all into the plant and, and getting the most we can out of it.
2: Well, and this is definitely one of those years, you know, natural gas is is not creeping up, it's jumping up. And we know that with that spike in natural gas price, it's just uh, nitrogen fertilizer prices are going to follow very quickly And I think one unique thing that producers today have that they don't realize is there's been a big influx of, we'll say, money into new stabilizers. And I think, you know, we're in the process of teasing out which one of those are useful and and which ones aren't. But I think there's a whole new class of stabilizers that are going to start hitting the market in the next few years that that are going to benefit a lot of, of producers.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I love having more technology, more choices, and very likely better products because if they're competing against what's already on the market, uh, if they aren't at least as good, if not better, we probably aren't even going to consider.
2: Well, and that that's the thing. You know, we've got our gold standards kind of in any industry that we compare to. And I think, you know, anytime a new product comes along, we're we're going to compare back to what we consider that gold standard. And, you know, without... In trying to promote one product over another, I, I do think there are at least uh, two or three new technologies in terms of ammonia uh, volatilization reduction that, that are going to be promoted here. Um, and then there's going to be two or three new technologies in regards to nitrification um, inhibition uh, that are going to be new and different chemistries uh, that could really change the landscape of, of how we manage nitrogen.
0: Uh, that is awesome. I love that. love that you're sharing that information, Trent. Uh, it's exciting for us in agriculture to know there's a lot of people working behind the scenes here to to try out these new things and and find out what's going to work for us and help us have great recommendations when these new products come out. So thanks for doing that.
2: Well, yeah, and like I said, it's it, to me it's been a, a you know a purposeful approach by industry to say, hey, you know, not only is there a market here, but there's a need here. And, and I think that, you know, push to invest money in those new products is, is going to be a big windfall for, for our producers across the country.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're talking with Trent Roberts down at the University of Arkansas. Trent, we're super excited. This is, this is great stuff. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for the work that you're doing. Look forward to talking to you again down the road.
2: Yeah, sounds good. Everybody have a happy and safe harvest, and we'll get ready for next year.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. We're already planning for next year and already putting those pieces in place. And, you know, we were talking with Charlie White here with Penn State earlier about manure and really setting the table up for this next crop. And that's what it's all about, Brian. We're talking nitrogen stabilizers, keeping this nitrogen in the right form, protecting it from loss, protecting the environment, but also increasing our profits on the farm by getting every pound of nitrogen that we need and that we're applying out in the fields into the crop. I think one thing, too, that we had talked about earlier just for our own farm is that we had uh, less than a stellar crop on some of the tough ground and we've had mineralization going on out there and testing to see what you have in the soil for nitrogen at the end of the season is kind of a good thing, too, to know, well, where do I need to start? Maybe I don't even need to apply as much as I was planning on. Well, it's more than
1: kind of a good thing. I think it's a really good thing, especially in a year like this year, and especially with the variability that we had. So, yes, as I have been talking to farmers who have been pulling some soil tests, they are finding in some cases there's a lot of nitrogen out there. If you have that, that's awesome. And that means you can hopefully spend less on nitrogen on your farm going into this next year. So, yeah, I would absolutely take a look at that. A lot of people just guess, and they say, well, if it was corn this last year, I don't have anything left. If it was beans, I have 40 pounds. Well, that's a complete guess. Let me just give you an example off our farm. So we had some where we had silage production, and I, I just pulled up one of the fields that we've tested so far. Do you know that in one area of the field, we had as high as 135 pounds of nitrogen left? 135! And I'd say the average across the whole field is probably 50 or 60, but still my point is I've got areas in the field that are averaging 70 or 80 pounds. That's a big deal. So if I wanted to raise corn on corn, which we might on that particular field, then I'm absolutely going to ratchet down my nitrogen projection for the year. I would also say with fertilizer it's a commodity and we really don't know what that price is going to be next june when i might come along and do some side dress so if i've got 135 pounds sitting out there already do i really need any more between now and spring i don't know that i do And, I mean, if I want to put a little bit on with the planter, I certainly could, even in a corn-on-corn situation. You know, yeah, I might need 300 total pounds, but let's say I put on another 50 with the planter. I could theoretically come along in late May or early June with a side dress application. Well, at that point, eight, nine months from now, is it possible that the nitrogen price could be lower? Sure it is. Now, I don't know. It could be higher, it could be lower, but I'm just saying if you want to gamble— and say, you know what, I'm just going to bet that things are going to be lower next spring, you could certainly go that direction.
0: Well, there is a lot of gambling all the time and trying to make the best judgment that you can. I look at it this way too with uh, just speaking about that gamble and prices and so forth. If you're locking in a percentage of your crop and you're locking in the fertilizer cost, you're a long ways towards locking in what your potential margin could be. If you're saying, you know what, I'm going to lock in all my fertilizer and hope that everything goes up uh, that they my crop price goes up and and that in season fertilizer goes down. Ugh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm that big a gambler. Well, yeah, but I mean, what are we
1: really talking about here? What What do you think it's going to possibly go to? It's already at seventy five cents a unit. I mean, what do you think it's going to get yeah, to? Yeah, it's, I, it's not going to get to $3 a unit. And we're if you're going to side dress, what are you going to do? 100 pounds. Okay. So what's, what's the most you think it's going to go up? 20 or 30 cents. So you're risking 20 or 30 bucks. So the way we've always looked at risk is this. What's the upside risk? What's the downside risk? So I'm... I, I don't know how this discussion turned into a gambling talk, <laughs> but I'm just trying to say- Unfortunately,
0: there's a, there's a lot of gambling. Right.
1: When, when you're hedging things out and I'm looking at, okay, if I can get 250 bushel corn times five bucks, well, next fall, I think we can contract 450. But for easy math, let's just use $5. 250 times five bucks, that's $1,250 an acre. Am I that worried about an extra possible 20 or $30? No, especially when I don't even have to put the money out for eight months. You know, I'm I'm just saying that may be something you might possibly consider. So, a lot of people want to talk nitrogen stabilizers, and I think that's great, whether you're doing it early or late. But I'm just saying this year you don't necessarily have to put out as much early if you're gambling and thinking nitrogen prices could go down next May or June. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
4: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
3: When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 cornheads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates. And the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago Cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's DragoTec.com.
0: Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com. We
3: now bring you an important news bulletin.
0: This just in
3: from live action news.
4: Innovation has come to the world of burndown.
1: New Elevore Herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS resistant weeds like Mares Tail and Henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore Herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown.
0: Hey, everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Back, you're listening to AgPHD radio broadcasting from the Morton Studio. We have reached the AGPHD mailbag time. That means it's your calls and your questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44 AGPHD. And of course, you can always email us radio at agphd.com. First question comes in from Craig in Maryland. He said, I'm not a farmer and I've got kind of an elementary question for you, but hope you can clarify this. When you guys talk about your spread rates for a product like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, whatever, you often talk about 50 pounds or 100 pounds. I'm just wondering, first question, is this a rate per acre? Well, as
1: a general statement, usually we are talking about rates per acre, yes. So I I just you know i don't i don't have all the information here about okay when you guys say this what do you mean i don't know a specific reference that we're making here but as a general statement yes we are usually talking about pounds per acre
0: all right He said then the same question kind of for liquids that you're spraying. Oftentimes you're talking about a use rate of some herbicide and you often say three ounces or four ounces. Is that the per gallon per acre rate or is that just the straight per acre rate? Because it doesn't seem like a lot of product to put on a whole acre.
1: Right. And here again, usually I would say, yes, we are talking about the rate per acre, not the rate per gallon per acre, the rate per acre. There are some things that we're using as little as a tenth of an ounce or even a twelfth of an ounce on a whole acre. And I know it seems crazy, but that's just the way it is. So yes, we have some very, very, very concentrated products anymore, which is great because it dramatically reduces handling and shipping costs.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, Craig. We really appreciate the questions and and you're right. Uh, it's it's some basic stuff. And once you understand those basics of, okay, why are we speaking the way we're speaking or what terminology we're using? It really helps make everything else make some sense. So glad you asked the questions. Got this one from NC. It said you were talking about field sandbur as a weed of the week and you guys get so excited about weed control. You seem to be even talking over each other a little bit about it. All right. Well, and see, we are actual brothers. I don't know if you realize that about our show. We, we actually are brothers. so We've been putting up with each other for a long time, but you know what field sandbur is one of those weeds that we can get pretty excited about because you know what, just today I was out on the edge of a field and I had a sandbur stick into my shoe. I don't like field sandbur. I'm pretty passionate about killing them, and if I find field sandbur anywhere, that's going to be a top priority to make sure we wipe it out. I don't like it. It's not nice. Uh, I've got a couple of dogs. I don't want the dogs running through that. I don't want to run through it or have the kids run through it. And it certainly can rob yields out in the field too. So as you heard with our weed of the week segment, it's not always the easiest weed to get because it can often pop up a little bit later in the season and slip past our pre emerge herbicides. But yeah, we do we do really like to take care of that one.
1: Darren and I were out doing some filming today and Darren I had the exact same thing I had a sandbird, but it was uh, it was this morning when it happened to me so anyway we do occasionally talk over each other because we, we we so we've been doing Ag PhD TV for 23 and a half years now and Ag PhD radio for over eight years we've done meetings together for almost 30 years but anyway, we often do these things together and it's fun and it makes it a lot easier because if I say if I say something incorrect or I leave something out, Darren'll throw it in and vice versa. But often we're trying to make it smooth, so it, it flows just from one person to the next person, back to the other person. We don't have big breaks or anything like that. And I know even this morning when we were doing a little bit of filming stuff, I started in on a line because I thought Darren was done. Well, he wasn't. And so I start and I hear him talking and it's like, oh, I got to let him go. So anyway, some of that kind of stuff happens. But yes, we are excited and passionate about not just weed control, but almost everything agronomically speaking, we're trying to not only raise better crops for ourselves, but we're trying to help all farmers do a better job raising crops, producing more yield, hopefully earning more money on the farm, and then doing a good job environmentally so that ground is in better shape for the next generation.
0: All right. Thanks for the feedback. We appreciate that. Thanks for checking out our show. That's that's always great. We do appreciate that. I get this one from Mitch down in Australia. He said, I've downloaded your nutrient removal app. Wondering if you guys could pull that up real quick. I've got a couple of questions on that. He said, first of all, if I select standard, it works out to bushels and pounds per acre. And that's how you guys are doing it in the U.S. Over here, we're using the metric system. So things are often in tons and kilos per hectare. So my question is, if I select the metric option, is that still in metric tons? per acre, or is that in metric tons per hectare?
1: Well, okay. It it doesn't matter what, if it's acres or whatever it is it 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 just doesn't matter all that it matters is for every 300 tons let's just say or here let's make it easier for every 100 ton every here I'll make it even easier for every 1 ton of corn for example you need a grand total of uh 20 let's see yeah and and it's kilograms it so i apologize i i struggle through this on the metric system and i'm sure <laughs> this may be the opposite for you but anyway Uh, phosphate it's 9.2 potassium it's 24.5 but the point is I don't care if that's per acre or per hectare or per hundred hectares it doesn't matter we're just saying here for every one ton of corn this is how many nutrients you need
0: all right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Uh, I get this one from Terry. He said, you guys often talk about fulvic acid and humic acid. I'm just wondering what the difference is, if you could explain a little bit more about them and maybe even the, the timings, rates, methods of application, those kinds of things if you're, if you're planning to use one or, or both of those products. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Terry. This is this is kind of an interesting thing in agriculture. And Brian and I have heard a lot about humic acid and fulvic acid for a long time. And there are things that are naturally produced out in your soil as, as microbes are, are working in your soil all the time, uh, that the soil isn't frozen anyway. The question is, could adding more fulvic acid or more humic acid in a different application during the season, kind of like we talk about adding more beneficial microbes, could that help the crop even more? And the answer that we found is, for the most part, yes. But one thing that's interesting in this industry is the regulation on some of those products may be a little bit behind what some of the companies are doing and some of the farmers are doing. So getting a fulvic acid product from one company and the next, they can be totally different things in the jug. And the, the measurements for how much humic or how much fulvic are, are in some of these products, uh, it's not quite as good a science as a soil test is at telling us parts per million of phosphorus and that type of thing. Right. There needs
1: to be some kind of industry standard. For humic substances in general, just let's put it this way. Humic acid is a broad term and often includes fulvic acids as a portion of the humic. Like Darren said, there's no industry standard for measuring humic and fulvic content, and some states consider them one and the same. Humics are more of a soil conditioner, that's kind of how we look at it, and they may be best used in a broadcast soil application. Well, fulvics, they're a much smaller molecule, and they work pretty well in foliar applications, but they can work just fine in the root zone as well. So a lot of times on our farm, if we say, we just want a little extra activity, we want to try to get nutrients into the plant a little bit better, we're just talking fulvics, we're using a low rate, and we go from there. Some of the humics, they're very thick, they're harder to work with, it seems like, and certainly some brands, some companies, the product they make, it's a little harder to work with. But with those humics, we have found better results when we have, let's say, tight, heavy soils, or when we have soil pH way off, when we have maybe let's say, a little bit poor drainage, and the guy says, well, I don't want to put tile in or something like that. So I'm just trying to say, if you have everything just right, we're not seeing the amount of gain with the humic acids as we are when there's something going on wrong in your soil. I'm not saying that as a a for sure thing in all cases, but I can just tell you we've done a lot of research in multi-states, and we have found more benefit with humic acids when the soil isn't, what
0: we would consider ideal all right thanks for the question we really appreciate that we'll dive back into the ag phd mailbag right after this
3: fill once plant all day
0: What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn and cotton. Leopard provides
1: your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra low use rate?
0: Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide, available for fall. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can send us an email if you'd prefer to uh, to send us a question that way or to send us a soil test or something like that. It's radio at agphd.com. Got an email from John in the Upper Peninsula, of Michigan. And a lot of times we can help folks out with with their questions. This one I'm not sure, Brian. I'll I'll put it to you. He said, my question for you guys, I've started a hay business. I'm curious, what would you suggest for the best hay seed that could be used for horses and cattle? That may be a little out of our wheelhouse, John, but I would say this. We get a lot of questions about blends and mixes. And a lot of times we say, you know what? Many of the crops you might check before you plant a mix about weed control options and other management options because oftentimes planting an individual crop could give you a few more choices when it comes to uh, killing weeds and perhaps the timing of some of the management practices that you do. So I don't really have a specific thing to recommend there. Brian, do you have anything at all?
1: No. No. I I mean, you've got a lot of options there and I don't know what's best in your area. Quite often what we look at is what we can produce locally and what we're good at, and then we kind of go from there. So, yeah, I I don't know what to tell you exactly what's going to be the best for your situation, but there are plenty of nutritionists who could probably answer your question better, especially for your local area.
0: All right, thanks for the question. Uh, this one comes to us from Jared in Nebraska and he said guys as fall is here now we want to get some pasture spraying done. We've got a few perennial weeds out there like a little bit of leafy spurge. We've also got some biennial thistles in the field and some annual weeds. Do you have overall recommendations or things that you would give me for, for advice as to making my fall pasture applications work the best? We're blessed with some decent weather here. It's still warm. We haven't had a frost yet, and we thought now might be the best time to get after it. The
1: key that got said there is frost. We really like all fall applications to be done prior to a frost, if at all possible, because the weed control is just better. Falls a good time, as a general statement, to kill a lot of biennials and to kill perennials because they are storing up a lot of nutrients down in their root systems so they can survive the winter. So because they've got this flow going down into the roots pretty hard, you can get herbicide down in there easier as well. If you get this timed right, and if you're, so if you're, I'm just trying to say, if you spray pretty quickly here, you can get herbicides to go way down into the root system of that plant. But I, I want to just caution you on this. We have some good, I'll call it long-term products and good products that are great for getting way down into thistles, even like, or, or any perennial weed so even like in croplands where it's Roundup and a guy says, Hey, I got a thistle patch here. I got a milkweed patch or whatever. I want to go control that. Well, then they throw 2, 4 D together with the Roundup, the 2, 4 D or Dicamba or any of those growth regulators, they shut the plant down before the Roundup gets the chance to go way down into that extensive root system. So I would rather have a person spray the straight goods product all by itself. And then you'll get better control in the, in pastures, just here's my example, Tordon and Milestone. They are amazing on a lot of the biennials and perennials, but as soon as you put 2,4-D with them, then it's not. you're not going to get the same root activity. Now, the difference is with Roundup, it doesn't have residual. With Tordon and Milestone, they have tremendous residual. So what I'm saying is with Tordon and Milestone, you could still eventually... Control those roots that are deep down in the soil as rain moves your herbicide down in and you've got that residual out there. But with Roundup, you only have one shot and that's the day you spray. So don't be mixing a bunch of other stuff with Roundup if you want to get great perennial control or even biennials. The other side of this is you got to think about okay, if I got some tiny little annual weed, it only takes a minimal herbicide rate in a lot of cases, and you get it under control, no problem. But when you have a perennial weed, even if above ground it doesn't look like much, below ground it's probably massive. In some cases, plants might spread out in a 20 foot radius, and you don't really realize that. So I'm just trying to say here this is why with perennials and even some of the biennials, rate is so unbelievably important. So don't skimp on the rate. Most of the time when we have these perennials out there, it's not across whole fields or whole pastures or anything like that. It's just out in areas. So what we often do is we'll spot spray Tordon or we'll spot spray Milestone or even spot spraying very high rates of Roundup. I'm great with doing all that, but If you say, well, I just want to spray once and I just want to spray everything and I don't want to spend much, then that's basically what you're going to get. You're not going to totally kill that plant. It's going to come back next year, but at least you'll burn the top growth down when you're doing some of these lower rates or you're throwing some of the growth regulators like 2,4-D or dicamba together with these good perennial or even biennial weed and root killers like Roundup, Tordon, and Milestone.
0: Right. Thanks for the question, Jared. We really appreciate that. Got this one from Sharon out in Montana. She said, Guys, we are seeding wheat right now, or just about to get going anyway. And we've heard you guys speak a lot about getting crops off to a better start. We've got two challenges here. We've got some annual. Winter, I'm sorry, winter annual broadleaf weeds that have been tough to control for several years. That's our primary weed concern. And then we've also struggled with wireworms. They seem to be getting worse and worse. Just wondering what you would recommend that we do at seeding to solve both of those, both of those issues.
1: Wait, say it again. What were the two problems? Winter wireworms. annual
0: broadleaf weeds and wireworms. <laughs> okay,
1: that's... That's that's why I was a little confused there because I'm like, well, those are two completely different things. So, and what crop? Wheat. Oh, okay. And we're, we're yeah, so we're talking spring wheat now, not winter wheat. Or winter what did wheat. You say? Okay, boy, I don't know how I missed all that. All right, so anyway, first of all, let's start with the wireworms. I, I, I would just say you only have one choice. It's to use an insecticide. Uh, Well, uh, let me take that back. You have two choices of insecticides. You've got the old, whether it's Poncho, Gaucho, Cruiser, and those things were okay. What a lot of guys would do is they just up the rate of that on the seed treatment and get better control. Darren, what's the name of the new product from uh, from ESF? Thank you. I, I was going to mispronounce that, but anyway, Teraxa, that appears to be much better on wireworms and actually kills them, doesn't just repel them. So we would tell you, try this new seed treatment from BSF, at least on a few acres, and see what you see. Okay, in terms of winter annual weeds, well, look, if it's a winter annual, it's going to be up in the spring. It might not even be up yet. So that gets to be the concern there. I'm just trying to say you might not be able to use some kind of burn down and all that takes care of it and even very early on this fall you might not see a lot of issue. So my best suggestion for you is put out sharpen if you're worried about winter annuals. That's going to kill most broad leaves out there. Leave you some good residual. It'll also have good burn down too. But if you use a couple ounces of sharpen it'll cost in the range of 8 to $10 an acre and I know that's a fair amount of money but it has really good residual. It will kill just about all broad leaves. And then you don't have to worry so much about the, some of those winter annual weeds. Because what happens a lot of times is those winter annuals get started a little later this fall. And then you go, well, it's late. And I'll just, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to do any spraying now. I don't think I'm going to do anything now. And then next spring, you go out, take a look at your crop, and you go, uh-oh. <laughs> these these weeds are already really taking off. Now you try to spray something, and that weed is a little big, It and the weather's cool, it doesn't work very well, so I get it. That's that's a lot of times the issue, and that's where I just say, sharpen would probably be my product of choice. Because I don't find many guys spraying Husky or Wide Match or any of these things that will actually do a good job on winter annuals post-emerge. I don't see many people spraying those in the fall anyway. Use the pre, you should be in good shape then. Again, that's sharpen, and I'd probably go two ounces to the acre.
0: Right, thanks for the question. last one here. This one comes from Larry in Illinois. So my dealers recommending I try fall valor this year based on the weed spectrum that I've got. My only concern is water hemp next year. How well will fall valor control my water hemp in season next next year?
1: Okay, so if we're talking Illinois, that's a state that has a fair amount of heat. When I think about North Dakota, where a lot of fall valor is used, we are just about to the end of the season. And if you put it out here, let's say in October, you're going to have almost 100% of that sitting there in the spring. It's awesome. It'll be activated because of the snow. That's great. If you're in Illinois and you spray fall valor Let's, let's call it in October, well, you might have a month or, or more where weeds could be sucking some of that valor down so you won't have as much left come spring. Also, what I find in Illinois is a lot of people don't want to plant super early. I like to plant like literally right when the frost is coming out of the ground. Well, if you don't do that, you plant a month or two after the frost comes out of the ground, you've got all that time too where weeds can suck that valor up. So to think that valor applied in the fall, even at four ounces, is going to last clear into July in Illinois. I don't know that I would say that, but it's really going to help you come early spring.
0: Thanks for the question, Larry, and thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.